Hi, I'm Michaela Loach. And I'm Rebecca. And this is the Yikes Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Yikes Podcast, the podcast about all the things that can make us go yikes. All these things that can be really overwhelming, can feel too overwhelming, can make us want to run away from them rather than lean into them and take action around them. But we say you got to lean into the yikes. you got to take that yikes, power up with the yikes and instead move into action together. Um, and today's episode, um, we are talking about COP the climate conference in Glasgow and just a bit of a debrief of some of our feelings around it. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think we like wanted to do this episode because we thought it would be like helpful. Uh, Michaela and I were both there in person and we both have similar but also very different experiences being in different spaces at COP. But also I am kind of dreading it, <laughs> talking about it yet again and like already so soon just because of the I think just like the headspace that I'm still in and I know that both of us are still recovering from just because it was so intense and on so many levels like good and bad and just intense and overwhelming and all of it which I think we'll dive in deeper but um yeah I'm excited to give people more of an insight and what what it was like for us at least but also kind of yeah kind of you know when you just like come back from a super intense yeah space like that and everybody's like so how was it and you're trying to like say it in like one sentence mm. of like how can i sum up such an intense like it felt like three years rather than like two weeks mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i don't know how to put it all in one sentence for you but yeah so podcast is a good new space i guess yeah and also i think that there's this like there's so many assumptions about how the time was especially because like because both of us are sharing a lot of it on social media but not all of it there's an assumption of like what already on these questions asked of like how our time was and I don't know and then I'm like but you don't know (laughs) (laughs) you didn't see these bits um but yeah so it's maybe to start off um what is COP so COP if you missed it is the conference of parties it's basically the UN's big climate conference it usually happens every year but because of the pandemic um it has not happened for a wee while. Um, and this was the first one in a pandemic world. And um, it happened in Glasgow in Scotland. And it was two weeks of diff- every country around the world sending delegates, um, different civil society groups being present as well. Um, experts, all in this space, experts, yeah. scientists. Yeah. Um, sadly, the biggest delegation was from the fossil fuel industry. Um, which probably has um, had an impact on the final decisions that were made, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, And basically all these people come together and they're meant to be discussing climate, discussing what what kind of international collaboration can happen, what Mm -hmm. agreements can be made. um, And then those agreements are put into like a final Paris, sorry, Paris, (laughs) final pact. Um, And you might have heard of the Paris Agreement and the Paris Agreement and 1.5, which is something that's talked about a lot was agreed back in 2016 is that right joe 15 15 back in 2015 um and that was where there was an agreement put in by countries all around the world that they would agree to try and keep warming below 1.5 degrees and at glasgow that was it was kind of sold as this is an important time to keep 1.5 alive keep paris alive like but Mm. did that happen no Mm. (laughs) 
There's yeah. debate. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, they're like usually meeting every year. Like, if people are familiar at all with like the UN or like the negotiation protocols and stuff, like the the way that like these negotiations like happen is already rather they're trying to really depoliticize a lot of it. So like, mm. for example, in the sessions themselves, like you can't really like target another uh, country, like you can't speak directly at another nation. So you can't really like call in another nation. But then like, for example, like Europe will have already discussed internally with like their countries of how to like support each other and kind mm. of like, you know, like they have all of their political agendas. So like within the conference themselves, they have to be like super polite and like, yeah, just kind of like pretend they don't have a political agenda, even though like obviously all of them do. And mm. like all of these powerful countries, like the G7, G20 countries really like, come together and like have like secret agendas and um, and yeah, and like kind of like build alliances to overpower other countries. And we really saw that this year again mm -hmm. in how like um, basically like having this conference every year should mean that like, you know, you kind of like keep up the targets, you push them further. And then every other like every like five years, the conference is like super big where like kind of like rather than looking at, for example, Paris, you have you write like a whole new kind of thing, which takes so much work. Like, you know, I mean. Having something to agree on with all nations across the world, obviously that's going to be like super di difficult, mm -hmm. which is why they don't do it every year, but every, you know, three, five years or whatever. And this should have been Glasgow, but Glasgow was in that sense a complete failure because in the end, you know, them saying, oh, we're going to try and stick to the Paris Agreement. Like, obviously, obviously, guys, come on. Mm. This is the basis. <laughs> like mm -hmm. 1.5 is already terrible, devastatingly enough. This is not groundbreaking what, what... <laughs> yeah I think that's one thing that like maybe we should actually maybe let's start by talking about the actual crop document itself because I feel like um that also give context maybe for other yeah. other parts um but yeah I think I was also finding it incredibly frustrating how when this the Glasgow Climate Pact was like finalized there were people on Twitter that I did I'm like who like who's asking Who kissing you? Yeah, who are you? Because the, the way that they were being like, oh, I'm so, like, this is so amazing. So much progress has been made. Mm. Like, this is such an ambitious document. And I think that I, one thing that I found genuinely, generally frustrating at COP was how much the word ambitious was being used for things that I do not think are ambitious at all. And it's like, who, ambitious for who? Because the Glasgow Climate Pact, is that ambitious for, like, the nations that might be, but nations like Tuvalu and nations like Kiribati and, and small mm. island nations that um, will be submerged if we don't limit warming significantly. Mm. Like, is it ambitious for like the countries that really need finance in order to be able to adapt and mitigate the effects of the climate mm. crisis and to like rebuild the damage that's already been done? Like for none of those, that's not ambitious for any of these people. Like it's not, it's not even ambitious really for the Western country, like these Western yeah. countries, like, <laughs> yeah. it, like, how yeah. is saying, um, like, but always adding some sort of like clause onto every single line? I don't know, like, how with fossil fuels, they're saying, like, oh, um, inefficient subsidies shouldn't happen or something was what kind of mm -hmm. the line was it said? Mm -hmm. Like, 
That means that any country can define what inefficient is. They can say, oh, this is efficient. This is an efficient yeah. subsidy because we need it to be there. Um, or saying like unabated coal as well. Like, why can't you just say coal? Like the, the words really matter because in these kind of things, mm. they have a huge, huge impact. And I think it's just, yeah, it's frustrating hearing people call something ambitious where I'm like, your, if your ambition means that entire like nations of people will, will be forced to leave their homes mm. and the entire islands will be submerged by water and the entire cultures might disappear, then like that is not ambitious. Like you can't be using that word in that way. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it makes me actually genuinely really angry. I'm just popping in here um, to add a bit more context around fossil fuels and the Glasgow Climate Pact. So, yeah, some people have said that um, the Glasgow Climate Pact mentioning fossil fuels explicitly is like a big win. But then also there's been a lot of talk around um, the fact that they're blaming kind of China and India for um, the pact itself not being strong enough on fossil fuels because at the last minute in the negotiations, when the pact was being finalised, China and India requested for a change of the wording from phase out of coal, of unabated coal, to phase down of unabated coal. And basically in the media, they've made out that it's China and India's fault, that the pact is not strong enough and it's all of their fault. In reality, like the the fact that it was just coal being mentioned in that space and not a phase out of all fossil fuels, including oil and gas. Um, The fact that it was just coal was because the US, the UK and Europe, um, many of these nations that are um, kind of these um, global north nations who currently are more dependent upon oil and gas than they are on coal because they've already built their economies off of coal in the past and now have moved on to oil and gas. These nations didn't want it to include the fossil fuels that they use and the fossil fuels that they profit from. And so they wanted to make it that it's just coal and they managed to make it that just coal was being included. Countries like India and China who haven't um, used coal to to, um, build their economies for as long as um, countries like the UK and the US and other countries like that have, um, they resisted this and they actually wanted there to be an inclusion of all fossil fuels so that it was an equitable um, kind of demand that was being put there that would put pressure on all countries and not just countries like them. This was resisted by um, the US, the UK and Europe. Um, and actually, there could have been a much bigger kind of statement being put in there about all fossil fuels. But instead, the US, the UK and Europe wanted to put the pressure on these other nations like India and China instead, and then use them as a scapegoat when eventually they didn't want to just be have the pressure being put on them. So I think it's important that we don't play into this media narrative of that it's all India and China's fault, that the agreement wasn't good enough, because that is just simply not the case. And in that space, then we're allowing um, these other nations to win and get away with it. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that there and definitely do some more reading around this. Um, but yeah, don't play into the scapegoating. It's like, it's such um, like UN document language, like the way that they like, use those terms of like ambition or like, you know, like recognizers, blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and it's like, because these documents aren't legally binding, like, even if countries sign them, like, but then as well, you know, like, having ambition to stop something that's, like, inherently destructive, it's kind of like, wow, my intention is there, but, like, oopsie, I failed, <laughs> like, you know, but, like, but like yeah. maybe you can say that about, like, I don't know, 
you know, oh, my intention was to go, I don't know, on a walk, but like I didn't do it. But like when you're a country and you are doing politics, like this is not the this, same. <laughs> yes. And when it impacts all of us, when it's literally, literally. Live or die, like it's like this how the world decides to act on climate is is genuinely like a live or die thing and it's mm-hmm. frust- it's so frustrating that it's being in cop it felt like it was like a pageant or like a game yeah yeah like yeah, it yeah. was like oh let's play this fun game like what country can look best like was kind of mm-hmm. what it was rather than like what action can be done that will really save all of us yeah and if in that way it didn't feel like it was as like as serious as it needed to be like even being like inside the cop buildings Making decisions like this, I think, should really have a huge emotional impact on people. I really think it should. I think that these world leaders who are making these negotiations, they should be seriously emotionally impacted by the fact that the decisions that they're making will decide who lives and who dies all over the world. Mm. That's the that's the stark reality of it. But then when you're there, you just see these like world leaders walk past, like in their like fancy suit, like smiling for the cameras mm. and just like acting super chill. I don't know. And I was just like. It was almost like they were having to be like, who can look the strongest and look the best at climate? Mm. And then they will win. When actually, like, yeah. you saw a lot of the small island nations, like, get really emotional about these issues when they were in the mm-hmm. negotiations. Because it's those nations, I think, that realise how much this is a live or die thing because already, like, they've had huge parts of their nations be completely submerged by water. Like, that's already happened. Yeah. And it was just that that disconnect between these, like, nations that, that contribute the most to this crisis being so disconnected it felt mm. from from the reality of the decisions they're making and then those nations who have contributed the least to the creation of this crisis um but are experiencing the impacts the most feeling really emotional about yeah. it but not being heard or not being given the space to even be a real real meaningful part of those discussions mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think that's like i feel like that was really the theme of you know cop of like how much show and show off it is versus like Mm. and like being super exclusionary not just for activists and like civil society you know but but for the people who should have like the you know like the center stage like within Mm -hmm. the negotiations as well and like and that wasn't the case and like i um i was on the train um like during during cop um it was like the second day of the negotiations and i was speaking to a delegate who like sat opposite of me um, from Sierra Leone and he was just going off on this, like the first kind of target that was made on, on the Monday, on the first day of stopping deforestation uh, until 2030, which is actually a failed target that was set for 2020. Um, and no one talks about that, but, uh, mm. and he was, you know, he was saying like how many loopholes there are around, like, you know, if you do plant trees, you can, it's kind of like offsetting the deforestation that can continue to happen. And he's like, oh, they might even cut down everything before 2030. So there'll definitely be that target then. But, and also like, kind of like his, yeah, his opinions of like, you know, like how, like the first couple of days, like it was so hard for also like delegates to enter the space you know having to queue up for ages being in the cold being the rain like all of these things which you know dampen literally the mood of the crowd and you know makes it even harder for people who've traveled from so far to be even more like emotionally fragile and feeling like extremely vulnerable you know not just in like the negotiation like mental space but also like physically and I don't know I feel like that was really I don't know, tactical, like to kind of destabilize people who should have had the center stage within the negotiations themselves as well. So I think, yeah, I think to maybe to like give some context as well for people. So how COP, like with 
cop in Glasgow, there was like the actual cop happening, which is in this in the big SSE hydro. That's where like the so-called blue zone was. And next to it was the so-called green zone. The blue zone was where all the like negotiations happened and where like accredited people would go in. And the green zone was like a space for the public to go and see loads of companies greenwash um but <laughs> but also some um <laughs> some genuinely good like organizations are in the green zone as well um but basically that outside of all of that there was loads of other cop stuff happening that were but that wasn't associated with the official cop but was like mm-hmm. kind of civil society from all around the world coming together to um create our own changes and build our own movements but we'll talk about that a bit later but kind of now going to the blue zone to the like accredited official official space um i think that it was deliberately made extremely inaccessible for people, like ex- extremely inaccessible in so many ways. Mm. I don't know how much of this was just like really horrendous planning and how much of it was like... No, they just had an even... extra year of planning. I'm not... Yeah, like, this, I don't this believe is this what's wild. It's like, they, it's, it's in Glasgow. The queues to get in on some days, I was in the queue for, I think two hours I was in the queue nah. just to get into the building. I had to take a radio interview in the queue where I was like cussing out Boris Johnson um, <laughs> and then surrounded by like tons of other delegates. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> oh my gosh. But no, but then, and then once you, once you get in, it's like, you don't even know where you're meant to go. Like, uh-huh. they, and, and, and I found that if I asked someone, so for example, I knew that my badge could get me into like, this is on one of the leader, world leaders days. So on the first couple of days, the world leaders were there and they were having discussions and opening ceremony. And I knew that the badge that I'd happened to get meant that I could get into like that area. But I didn't even know where it was. I didn't know how to find where it was. And when I asked people, I'd, I'd like say to a security guard, like, oh, hey, like, do you know where this is? They'd look at me like, oh, if you don't already know where it is, you shouldn't be going there. That was kind of the like the like password, response. please. Like, yeah, and I was just like, this is just really like I don't know. It just all felt so. I didn't know where to go at any point at any time. Mm-hmm. Like where, and and that was. I mean, obviously, like there'll be people who are much more prepared than I was, but it made me realize that if other people just maybe didn't have like a really organized delegation or didn't have the access to resources where like but like all access to like so many different things beforehand, then they would not even know where to go or what yeah. they should be doing. And I think that that led to a lot of people inside just feeling very lost. Like they felt mm. like, I think at least from my perspective, it was like, I felt like it was a huge privilege to have access to that space, mm-hmm. like a huge privilege. And I only got access to that space literally like a few days before. It was very random. Um, wasn't expecting that. And then um, ended up there. And I was like, okay, those people haven't been able to go there. I should do something with this. Mm-hmm. opportunity but then you're there and you're like I don't even know what to do like I don't know what, like I don't know where yeah. anything is everything is really inaccessible like most people weren't able to get into any spaces so you just what would happen is you'd be inside the blue zone and then everyone's just on their laptops watching the negotiations on their laptop which is like <laughs> what is the point like what what's so going funny. on yeah, yeah. And, and then people have queued two hours to get into there and so I think it then had this feeling of like, oh, I'm at least for me, I got into this like spiral of like, I'm not doing enough with this privilege that I've had access to. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm wasting this. Like, um, blah, 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 this is terrible. Blah, blah, blah. But then I realized a few days in that like, I'm not the only person who was feeling like that. Like a lot of other people yeah. were. And I had to just kind of accept that like, we can do what we can do. And that was challenging the odd politician every now and then when we could mm-hmm. see them walking around or like, meeting other people that was a huge part of being there was just like meeting other activists from all over the world um and other delegates and stuff but it I think that 
I think it was just, I think it was just like a really, like, it made me feel very hopeless being in there because I was like, oh, these are all the people who are making our decisions and they, they aren't yeah. that sound. Even the good, the good people aren't that sound. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's like horrible enough that you feel like this, but like, imagine also like the delegates, like exactly. proper politicians, you know, having traveled from so far and feeling also like this mm-hmm. and Like no one should feel like that, but like, yeah, like I no, think that's imagine that's what traveling, like, really, like, like, yeah, yeah, and like being and how like you know being representative of your country, of your mm. region, of your culture that actually really fucking cares that you know mm-hmm. we don't really know that from our government, but like other people buy it, so um, yeah, like that is really fucking disheartening. Actually, that's what I kept thinking. I kept thinking, imagine if you've traveled like for multiple days to be there. And then you get there and you don't, you can't, it's incredibly inaccessible. You have to queue for hours in the freezing cold, which might be a complete different climate to your climate at home to just to get inside. Then once you're inside, it's not made easy to see where you should go or where you should be. Also, you're made to feel like you're not even meant to be there because I, th- I know that a lot of um, the like black mapper activists that we're into, mapper means most effective people in areas. Um, so a lot of the black mapper activists that we're in, some of them were just a bit like t- were thrown out of the conference for no for for no apparent reason. Some days, and like I don't know, imagine that you've like spent ages also getting the funding to go there mm-hmm. or like saving up money to be able to go there, and then you're treated like shit when you're there. It's just mm-hmm. it is genuinely really heartbreaking and really incredibly fucked up. I was thinking how different the negotiations would be if, like, let's say the like western like rich countries who like i mean let's just call them us uk mm. Euro, like the eu um would have to do these negotiations in like a coal mine or like in you know like in like a space rather than like always being like this like excluded from the world and just like kind of like imagining environmental catastrophe like no like let's place you guys in there Mm. Or, and like, and then like, what would the the other side be of like, you know, being in a, uh, in a very like beautiful outdoor space where you can see and where you, where you can experience, you know, like uh, the natural world and like the web, webs of life and how they actually sustain you. Because mm. sometimes I'm like, have any of you ever been outside? Because like, do you have any, have you ever met normal people? Like, do you <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> But also like, have they ever like, Have they ever really been face to face with like climate breakdown as well? Because yeah, that's what I mean. Like you know? yeah, yeah. Because I spoke to um, Kato, who's part of the Saving Tuvalu campaign. He was the mm. only um, and I think first um, youth representative from Tuvalu. And Tuvalu is like a nation in South Pacific, and it's being submerged by water um, as we speak. Um, and speaking like just just like getting to know him a bit was was really lovely. But also like what's going on there is completely harrowing. And he was saying that he just he just wants like world leaders to have to go to Tuvalu and have to see what's happened there. Mm. Like he wants them to, to, to be there themselves and realize what's happening. I think he thinks that that would have such a huge impact. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think it, I do think it really would. I know that they're um, one of their ministers, he did his cop speech. So virtually, but um, he stood in the water, um, like in a suit, like in the water being like half submerged. Yeah, and and it was just and just to try and highlight to these leaders what's actually happening, and I I really think mm. that they they should be before they go to a COP they should be forced to go and visit like climate breakdown in different places. 
mm-hmm. and see that where it's actually happening and meet the people who are being impacted by it before they make these decisions that have an impact on all of these people's lives. That yeah. like they shouldn't be able to make these decisions without having like had an, some sort of emotional response to like what's actually happening. Mm. It just feels really detached. that's where also like the loss and damage um Mm. part of cop comes in where like the call to i guess like not just like even repair like historical damage but just like have funds for countries that are experiencing loss and damage and you know those who have the wealth (laughs) acquired Mm. usually and extracted from those regions you know to to help and like to pay and like to the yeah uk us and european union you know blocking all of that and it's like it's so violent i mean i think that was one of the biggest um like failures of cop was the fact that the lack, lack of loss and damage like commitment because yeah finance like that like the kind of like get like getting money from different countries like in a fund to go to the countries being most impacted that is the kind of thing mm-hmm. that cop is is it should be helpful for because it's a yeah. time when all of these countries yeah. are actually there when they could actually commit to it when like and that's something and getting those commitments is much more difficult i think outside of a cop like a, a lot of other things like for example i think a lot of the stuff around fossil yes. fuels yes it would have been amazing if it had been in there but i also think that we can campaign around fossil fuels quite like outside of a cop like mm-hmm. all the time like that's something that we can complain about all the time i think that like getting a loss and damage fund is is harder to get countries to commit yeah. to outside of like an international conference and that's why i still as, as much as that they obviously failed this time that's why i think it's important that we don't like completely disregard cops at all the cop process because i do mm-hmm. think that there are certain issues where the cop process could be really instrumental in creating change and we've seen and also i think that like i don't think it's fair of of any of us who live in countries like the uk or the us or whatever or europe to dictate like what process these countries that have been harmed the most want to happen like i don't know a lot of the like mapper countries or small island nations like they actually like talked a lot about like how they want to be there at cop and they want these cops to happen because They want to have Mm. some sort of like say in international things. And I think that there's just been, in response to the COP being a failure, there's been a lot of like online chat of like, okay, we need to disregard cops completely and we need to like starve them of any energy or any attention. Mm. But actually, if the countries who are being most impacted still want this process to happen and still want like something to come from it, then I'm not sure if like us in the West deciding that we're just going to disregard it completely is actually the right thing to do. Maybe we should just be putting more pressure on it all year round to talk about like I don't know to mm. so that when the cop actually happens there's been like a wider discussion around loss and damage and things like that so that it's actually like a really high thing on the agenda when we're there uh, yeah I think yeah I definitely agree I think I guess the issue generally is that you know expecting like one one meeting even if it's annual with all countries in the world to have that big of an impact like 
we say this mm-hmm. all the time, right? In social movements, like we don't just want one tactic. And like, mm. I think the entire world placing all of their hopes for climate change and climate negotiations onto this one conference, I think in itself is problematic because mm-hmm. I don't believe in one tactic, one single solutions. But at the same time, I think like that doesn't mean that we can like disregard it because like it exists. And as you said, like if the call for it is there, especially from frontline communities, then I think like now and like this was my first cup for example like i've been like really interested in un processes in generally because they do hold a lot of power in my opinion um not necessarily good all the time or anytime but you know they do hold power and i think so i feel like for us now having been there once like we like it took me so long even to wrap my head around blue and green zone. Like I was just like, I don't know what's happening, guys. I'm just here outside vibing. <laughs> but like I literally walked past the entire conference center and I was like, I don't know. Where is it? Like I walked for 20 minutes and I was like, where is the conference center? And everybody was like, this building. I was like, I have circled it for 30 minutes now. I did not realize it was there because it didn't even look like it. Like, I was like, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) So having said that, that was my first day. Afterwards, I was a lot more organized. But that being said as well, the next cop, guys, I'm ready. I'm going to be organized. (laughs) That's what I feel as well. I feel like I learned so many things from this. More things I did wrong at this time. The next time. I'm not going to be this disorganized. No. I'm going to know where I'm going. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to let them, like... Um, I'm going to be, like, full German, having, finish. like, a folder printed out <laughs> with the maps, the, like, where um, food, you know, all of these things, yes. where, like, community care is organized, like, where yes. the parks are, everything. One thing I'm going to say is that, um, this is probably not that interesting or relevant to anyone, but the food in the cop building was absolutely disgusting. It tasted like I was eating a shoe in a <laughs> in a dry, dry burger bun. Oh my gosh, so bad. But the only thing that brought me any sort of like comfort was the fact that this is the only food available to people inside the cop building. So that means that the That's world great. is eating the same shit food that I am. So. <laughs> Take one for the team. But I heard Australia was like giving away free coffee or like in Qatar was like giving away free croissants or something. Doesn't that sound like an amusement park? Yeah. No, but that's how it was. Like, so the so one part inside the blue zone, there's like these pavilions, which means that like different countries create their own like stand for their country. And I actually hadn't been to any of the pavilions until like literally until like my last day there, I think. Um, and I was walking around like, what the fuck? Like, I literally <laughs> you'd be walking around, and this was I was I was there in like the evening. And there was just loads of people just having wine parties in the different pavilions oh with and having presentations around like how fossil fuels aren't really that bad and shit like that. And I was like, what Wonderful. the fuck? And, yeah. and I was like, walk, I was just walking around all these different pavilions and thinking, this is terrible. Like, it feels like an amusement park. It's like an amusement park for these different countries um, to greenwash and to promote all this bullshit. And it was just mm. like... It felt incredibly jarring and I was so glad that that was actually my last day at COP because I was like, I actually can't do this anymore. Like, I can't... It, I actually found it really soul destroying to be around all mm. these like climate delays. Like, because I think that climate delay is as bad as climate denial, if not, if not worse at this point, because I think yeah. that more is being invested in climate delay now than it be, is being invested in climate mm. denial. And like, I, you saw that so much at COP with people just look at finding different ways, to, like, or talking about carbon capture and storage or like, like for other false like technologies yeah. and solutions and whatever. And it's just like, 
Oh my gosh. I think I felt I did fall one day into like complete despair and felt like there was mm. no hope like at all. And that's just me being like honest here because I think that on the podcast and on my social media, I can like always talk about hope and say there's always hope and blah, blah, blah. And like, we always say that we sound more hopeful on the podcast than we actually are in real life sometimes. <laughs> but I'm being serious. Like one, like for like two days, I felt like there was no hope. Like I felt like there was no chance that we were going to make it below to below 1.5 degrees. I felt like there was nothing that we could do. I did like, I felt, I think that and I felt like that because I'd spent too much time in the like official spaces Mm-hmm. Um, and it was horrible to feel that. Like it was so deeply horrible. And I had loads of pals around me who were trying to tell me that like there is hope and movements and try to repeat back the same shit that I talk about <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, but then I think for me, what it took was being on the out, like being at the outside stuff, like being at the the strike on Friday um, and being with so many other people and hearing other people's speeches and how their communities like, are resisting these things and especially from indigenous communities like how they've been resisting this, these like extractive industries for so long and that all of that has to be worth it like all the action we're doing it has to be worth it because like what other yeah. what other choice do we have apart from to act like do we we mm-hmm. can't just sit and let this happen like we can't do that um and that kind of renewed the fire in me again and I'm glad that it did because mm-hmm. I was like oh no is it all over <laughs> yeah I feel like that resonates quite a lot and I think a lot of people felt like that where like also people asking me like beforehand and during it and after of like, you know, oh, like what what are your hopes for COP? And like, is COP giving you hope and stuff? And like, I think in one way facing this like, no, like the negotiations are not giving me hope. And I wish I wish they did. Like, I wish there were a space for mm-hmm. justice. um But unfortunately, like. Like I didn't, I didn't expect it, it didn't happen. But I, I think like the kind of like being on the outside and like being with so many people, like just like knowing that like it's always worth like fighting in like fighting this fight and like it, like it must be worth it. Like we must mm-hmm. win. Like I don't, I think like there was like one, um, there was one talk that um, I attended on the Global Green New Deal and uh, Asad Rehman said, you know, I'm not in this fight just to be in this fight. Like, I'm here to win. Like, we will win. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to win. Like, mm. and I think, like, hearing these words, you know, also from other people and, like, hearing that, like, you know, the like, people have resisted these systems, these oppressive systems for centuries, like, for mm-hmm. hundreds of years, you know? Like, I don't know. I'm some, I'm, I'm kind of, like, sometimes I'm, like, I guess these feelings of despair, they come in, they come out, but like I need them to go away because like I'm not here to stop this fight that people have fought for so much longer. And like I'm not going to be the one that's stopping, you know, this this legacy of like hope and resistance and um, this pursuit of winning like to, to stop with me. Like, I don't know. So I feel like even the like, I don't know, I find it really tricky when people ask me like, oh, do you have hope for this? Like, obviously, like otherwise I wouldn't be here. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, like, also, who am I to not have hope when, like, I actually have, like, such an easy life to be here at COP, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to be on the street, like, do, to be protesting, to have the resources to, like, you know, um, and, yeah, so I don't know, I, but I also felt those, those feelings of despair, and I think especially, like, for me, it was, was really hard, like being so much on the outside, um, being so much involved, like, I don't know, part of the People's Summit um, organized by COP26, 
coalition and like by so many people who did more work on making incredible like people-led grassroots-led things happen being outside those negotiations i was like i'm having this bodily experience of community of resistance mm. of creating a new like new futures where we take care of each other like we feed each other we learn from each other we like you know we come together despite all of these differences that are actually like our strengths and like you know we we are creating safe spaces for each other like knowing that like it's possible because i felt it and i felt it for almost two weeks and then mm. the negotiations been so much the opposite and like also then like hearing like returning kind of from this bubble and return and like you know people telling me like oh but you should talk more with people who disagree with you don't stay so much in a in your bubble you know don't conflate social justice with climate change like you know all of these mm. things which i'm like but I just had this experience that it is completely possible. It is completely possible. Yeah. And even if it wasn't possible, it would be f worth fighting for. But I know it's possible because I felt it, you know. Mm. And how can you how mm -hmm. can you tell us that it's not possible? Because we have created it. Look at us. Like, why don't you look to our solutions that we have in our communities? And I found that so frustrating. Oh. Like, I, um, yeah, it really brought me into a lot of despair and grief, um, I think. And wants me to, but like... I don't know. I think what yeah. you're saying about like we've already created it is so important. Like mm -hmm. I think that's what keeps me going because like justice is always worth fighting for. Like yeah. all of us are always worth fighting for. Like a better world is, is always worth fighting for. Even like because if we have to think about it, even if we only get a glimpse of that better world, is that not better than not getting that glimpse? Mm -hmm. Like is isn't that always worth fighting for? But I think we need to kind of almost know what we are fighting for as well. And that's what I get from being in community with other people and especially other like climate justice mm -hmm. people. And that's why I think that like, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have hope if it wasn't for the other people in this movement, because it's in those spaces where I have that hope because yeah, as you were saying, we've already started to build this new world. It already exists around all of us. And, and that is beautiful. And that is something that's worth fighting for. And that's why mm -hmm. I think I would really say to people like, get involved not only because you'll help us fight a better world but you'll feel more hopeful because you'll be surrounded yeah. by other people who are already who are already creating that world today and who already have created spaces like that today because yeah that's what I found when I was like at the strikes or at the um people's march or even just with other pals in the mm -hmm. space like we we filmed we we created real community I think that so in, in my speech on Friday I kind of talked about that and I said that like my heart was broken by the people inside the cop building because it really felt like it was, it was broken by politicians who I spoke to who I thought would be better than they were and then mm. and then weren't. It was broken by these um, people who are meant to be making decisions over all of our lives but are breaking those promises. But what I found is that in my heart being kind of shattered in that way, it was only made whole again by the other people that I knew who were, always, who were also fighting and who I was in community with and who created mm. that community and, and who, who created this new world and that those people... And that community and all of these activists, they were like the gold that was poured into those cracks of my broken heart and made it bigger and stronger. And I think that that's why, like, if anyone is listening to this and thinking, or if anyone in, in general just has ever felt heartbroken about any of these social issues, like, lean into community, like, find, like, lean into acting against it because that will mend your, like, your broken heart. Like, that will make it stronger and... Yeah, de de like defeatism is the, is as bad as denialism when it comes to climate. It's as bad as like yeah. like acting as if it's not there, and we we just simply can't let us ourselves fall into that, and we can't listen to these other voices that just chat shit about like how 
climate is not social justice or all this other bullshit that people are saying like and also people can say like yeah we need to talk to people that we disagree with more like cool maybe that's your bag it's not my bag because I know that it will actually ruin me and my soul like that mm-hmm. I tried doing that I got and mm-hmm. it made me not be able to do anything anymore like yeah like is as in I'm happy to debate people I disagree with evidently um as I showed over the cop <laughs> process um <laughs> Nah, those face expressions. If you haven't seen the face expressions that Makeda did in certain interviews, please go to Instagram right now and look at them. <laughs> I had genuinely so much fun trolling, not trolling, but like um, debating Allegra Strassen, Boris Johnson's COP26 coalition. Sorry, not coalition. That's right. No. Boris Johnson's COP26 spokesperson. Um, who was just completely chatting shit about um, just everything around climate and about COP. And then round two, she was there again, but she actually wasn't the worst person on the panel because there was Alexander Downer, who was the um, foreign minister for Australia, who was actually just saying horrendous oh. things. And But it was amazing to see the way mm. he looked around the studio like he couldn't believe that I was saying the things I was saying to him. <sighs> Because he's used to probably like Sky News Australia, which I think is much more into like climate denial and stuff. And so he literally yeah. went red and was looking around the studio, like at the producers probably being like, are you, are you not going to cut her off? Are you not going to? Yeah. She's on Zoom. You can just turn off her video. Why are you not turning off her video? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But that's the kind of like, I can confront people I don't agree with uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that dramatically. But like, I this idea that we should be even giving any sort of false like false balance to like how we feel about justice and how people mm-hmm. who are like fossil fuel companies feel about justice like i i i don't need to respect them i don't need to give them the respect of like a com- mm-hmm. like a calm conversation when they are profiting from destroying the planet and it's also like I, not I like the they care about us so yeah. Um, yeah why waste my time actually and why why give them more fuel of ways that they can greenwash themselves? Like, I think the more conversations we have with fossil fuel companies, the more mm-hmm. they learn the questions that we'd actually ask them and they are, are able to like adapt to mm-hmm. like create bullshit around that. Yeah. I think like there, um, there's, you know, a point of speaking to people who are kind of on the verge of mm-hmm. taking climate action. Like, I don't know, I, I think of this, um, it's like the part of the theory of change um, that actually um, Andre Henry introduced me to is this like so-called like spectrum of allies where you're kind of like, mm. you map out on like where, where you are and like the people around you are. And like, we all have different kind of like points where we can talk to different people and they will be like closer to us versus like mm-hmm. you know that person might be further away from someone else and so because of my close proximity to this person maybe shared values maybe family or friend connections blah 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 you know I will have more kind of power calling them into this discussion and like having discussions with them but for example like a fossil fuel executive actually doesn't give an egg about my honest opinion And neither does the Conservative Party, right? And like um, kind of George Monmio actually did like a really good thread on Twitter recently about how kind of like um, there's this wave at the moment, people arguing that um, in order for the climate movement to succeed, we have to reach across the political spectrum and like appealing to conservatives as much as like radical and liberal values. And he was completely like debunking this because a lot of what climate justice means is the opposite of conservative values like we are Mm -hmm. against you know um 
like, yeah, like climate justice doesn't share conservative values. Therefore, how can our climate justice movement pull conservative execute like you know um values into it like it can't so like there can be an unlearning process instead is pulling mm-hmm. those people into our values rather than putting exactly. their values into our movement exactly yeah and yeah that's exactly what i was going to say like unlearning values is fine and you know we need to be reaching people but we don't need to add mm-hmm. their values into the climate space because also it will mm-hmm. make our our spaces unsafe for other people right and like so actually we're deflating our own movements and i think um i wasn't inside the cop um, and I just, um, yeah, I was really happy to be part of like the COP26 coalition who have done like incredible work. Like, I'm not sure they mm-hmm. realized how much incredible work all of them have been doing, like the last year organizing this and then like, you know, being there in person and online and having like 14 different venues. And like, we had, you know, community kitchens and, um, just like chill out spaces the venue that I was kind of helping to coordinate was such a beautiful venue. Um, I would definitely recommend people go check out Govern Free State. It's this beautiful space that they actually declared themselves independent uh, in the 90s and now declared themselves an independent again in light of their 25-year anniversary and, and COP and like the whole kind of slogan is like declaring yourself um, independent, uh, no, independent, interdependent and declaring yourself welcome. Um, mm. so around like radical dependency and we had such beautiful workshops like some stuff on like I don't know resisting fortress uh, so like the um, violent borders in the Mediterranean and there uh, the policing there um, we had some stuff on like fracking in Texas we had some stuff on anarchism and environmental justice we had um, we skyped with some environmental defenders who are having a protest camp in a, uh, in a forest in Turkey like I just learned so much from these people mm. and you know being in these spaces and then like being able to go to other spaces and uh, and some of them especially the bigger venues they they were recorded so if you miss um, stuff you can check them out on the YouTube of COP26 coalition and it's weird because all of that was so and just like generally meeting people you know that we've like I don't know, been in touch with online and like, I don't know, it was just like so heartwarming and people coming up and saying that they love our podcast. Like it just like meant yes. the world. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like for me, that was like the learning, but also like the community, like the just like being in spaces mm-hmm. with people has just like reignited, I think, so much in me where I was like, damn, I miss just being in spaces with people. Um, mm, mm-hmm. no matter how challenging or comforting they are, like, I think there's power also being in a bubble and being really reaffirmed in our values. Like, I think that was for me something that I was mm-hmm. like, you know, like the, what we sometimes talk about, like feeling too radical or feeling, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know, like kind of like, oh, like, am I too, am I too much? Like, am I de- demanding too much? And then being there and also being pushed and like, no, I'm not demanding actually too much. I'm yes. demanding too little. I need to be, mm-hmm. I need to take inspiration from these people who've been resisting, you know, and like um, all of this time and who face very different barriers. And I am mm-hmm. kind of like, I felt also called in of like, you know, doing more and organizing differently again. And mm-hmm. and that was so beautiful to me. Like, I don't think, I think that was like one of the most impact things probably for me also in the last probably like five, 10 years for me. And in the way that I will see now going forward, my own organizing and being in spaces. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm super grateful to everyone that I met there. 
everyone, um, we're just jumping in here to remind you all that we have a Patreon. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's basically a platform which allows you to directly support things that you enjoy. It could be a writer, it could be a podcast, it could be a content creator, lots of different things. Our Patreon helps this podcast happen. Our podcast is completely funded by our listeners, which is amazing and we love that because then we can talk about whatever we want and however we want to talk about it. And we wouldn't be able to do this without you. We wouldn't be able to pay our team without our Patreons. We wouldn't be able to pay our guests without our Patreons. It is so important for this podcast. And if you do enjoy this podcast for free, um, then it'd be amazing if you could to financially contribute to helping this podcast actually happen. Yeah, and we do lots of like extra content on there. We do regular Q&As and just kind of having like... um yeah making use of this like a little bit more intimate space uh in sharing a little bit more of like the insights of what's going on in our lives like around like movement building and like what we're involved in uh and also there's been a really like wonderful community building within the other people mm -hmm. that have joined the patreon and uh share resources in between each other and it's been really beautiful to watch this little uh space grow and just kind of yeah like have this like intimate connection with um with fellow folks so um, yeah, we would love uh, if you can sign up. It starts at uh, three pounds, and um, yeah, it's kind of like up to you how much you can contribute if you are financially uh, stable and you, you know, like we don't want to pressure anybody who's not financially stable to support us. And so, yeah. Yeah, and on the three pound tier, you get the episode at the start of the week rather than on the Thursday. So you get the episode on the Monday. At the next tier, which is £5, you get an extra bonus content every week as well. Sometimes that's episodes, sometimes that's writing, as well as every week's episode as well. You also get to listen to the episode without this annoying Patreon ad in it. Um, so there's loads of different benefits. There's even a tier, actually, if you are a business and you feel like you listen to this podcast and you learn from it, there's a tier where you can also... Um, kind of pay back some of that support to us um so yeah we hope that we'll see you over on patreon it's a beautiful and wonderful community building space as well and we genuinely could not be more thankful for the patreons that have allowed this work to happen we couldn't do it without you guys um thank you so much and i hope, we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode that's so beautiful that is so beautiful and it's such I think it's also like super interesting that um I feel like having access to the actual cop itself was lauded as this like good thing mm -hmm. but actually I would have much rather have had your experience <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie I'm still exhausted and like overwhelmed and stuff yeah of course but very different yeah I think I think I mean, but that very sounds just experience. so beautiful and like that's mm -hmm. the stuff that we need to be doing as much as we can. It's like just listening to like other people who've been doing this work for so much longer um, and in so many different ways and trying to include all of those perspectives into whatever future we're fighting for because then that, that's how we'll get an actual better future is if we include those perspectives. And I also really love that, like the idea of like, isn't like not even that we're not radical enough being like an insult, but more of like a challenge of like, mm -hmm. okay, like how can we learn more from other people? Like how can we expand our understanding of how great a future can be how can we expand our tactics around organizing like how can we how can we learn from each other and I think that that is yeah really beautiful like I'm really glad that you had such a beautiful time as well I'm sad that we didn't get to like actually do much stuff together I know. Um, but like I know which is so funny because like we, we were like oh we're gonna be a cop together yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but it's such different worlds. Like we could have literally mm, been in different countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's wild is that in one city, yeah, there was such like stark differences in in the spaces that were being created. And I think that that, but that also shows the power of movements to create completely mm-hmm. different spaces, um, without the same like power or resources that governments have. Yeah, like those spaces can still be created and can be amazing and powerful and beautiful. And I just love that. Like, oh, I just love the. I I do think that being physically with people is just so different from being on Zoom with people. Like, oh my gosh, just being able to like hang out with people as well. Not it's not it not all just being like a meeting or like a serious yeah. thing or just a talk or something. It was like okay, like let's go to the pub after. Yeah, and like let's just like chat and about silly stuff, but also climate stuff and whatever else. And like let's just have fun and share food together. And, I mean, like, sometimes I think have a like. Boogie. <laughs> Sometimes meetings almost seem a bit easier on Zoom because, like, you can just meet. I can just meet myself, <laughs> and I can just like doodle. Like, I can, you know, I can like, I don't know, yeah, just kind yeah, of yeah. like go in and out. And not that I ever do that, guys. If you ever have been on a Zoom with me, I don't do that. <laughs> no, but it's, it's the afters times. It's, I think for me, it's like the like, oh yeah, yeah. We can like also we can de-stress after like a long meeting rather than it just yes, being like oh, I'm and in like, my room. Yeah, I think that's like the networking part. It's just like a lot. A lot more natural and like, I don't know. And, and I think just like, yeah, being in space with each other and also just like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's like when you are go when you go to a conference or any like talk online or like you give a talk online, right? And then you just like close your mm. laptop and you're like, done now. Yeah. And you're like, so how am I going to distribute that energy now? Because I'm buzzing, guys. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think that... <laughs> I remember yeah. the feeling like that after um, when we did our first like live Yikes event with Nadi Wissome and Edward Adonteng and um, Katish. And yeah. afterwards I was, I had so much energy. I was like so hyped yeah. because everyone had said such sick, amazing, like beautiful, empowering like stuff. And then I was just like in my flat. <laughs> yeah. I think I was just like running up and down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just but, like, this yeah. is not what I was expecting. Like, this is not what 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 your body's meant to do as well, I think. I think we're meant to have, like, the time afterwards. So, COP's over. It's done. We're moving on forward. Um, gosh, I learned so much during that time and there's so many things that are coming next, but I, do you want to go first and say like some, mm-hmm. what, what are you going to do post-cop? What have you learned from that time? What are you bringing with you? Kind of that stuff. I mean, I'm only right now just getting back into life responsibility things. So I'm still trying to like catch up on sleep. And I think mm. like, I do need like a little bit of time of just processing and stuff, yes. but I don't. I also have a lot of fire at the right now, um, mm. actually still. And so while I will be, I think, slowing down a little bit in just getting back into like normal life groove and yeah, focusing a little bit, like trying to kind of like take that fuel also into my academic work right now, which I need to catch up on. Um, so, but yeah, I think there's like, I don't know. I'm hoping to like find movements and join like a local community group here mm. now after moving, which I haven't been able to, um, which has been a little bit, I think, frustrating for me now personally, just because coming from such a buzz, like I need quiet mm. space, but also need community. And I, 
I can't just be doing academic work, um, even though that can also be activism, it's just less tangible and long. Mm. So I am, yeah, I, I hoping, I'm hoping to just continue the work, but also giving myself space and, and care, especially during the winter months, um, I guess. Um, but there's loads of really incredible, like still like online coalitions and stuff that I've been like now in touch with through COP. Mm. And so I'm going to try and yeah, be really in touch with them and see who I can join. Like I joined some coalitions, I joined some unions recently and I'm kind yes. of like, like interested in like how, like what kind of different groups I can like be part of right now. Uh, and I'm hoping just for a lot more of this coalition building that we saw at COP. Like I'm mm. not like, I'm just interested in how we can link our movements and our kind mm -hmm. of movement buildings. And I'm reading a really cool book on mutual aid right now. Some I'm uh, really inspired also by that and wanting to kind of join solidarity work like that, you know, so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think that, like, coalition building is what I saw. It was was one of the most powerful things I saw at COP, at least, like, at the um, Global Day for Climate Action, or I forgot, Action Climate Justice, I can't actually remember the name, but the COP26 Coalition Big March Day that had, like, 150,000 people in Glasgow, half mad. a million people across so the country. Good. In the Glasgow strike, it was, like, walking past, like, the union block and the health block yes. and the housing block and like the everything block. Like it was a real coalition <laughs> of different people. Yeah. It was like, this is amazing. Um, yeah, that was really amazing. I think that's like an amazing takeaway to get from it is like mm -hmm. coalition body and stuff. Um, I think similar to you, I really need to take some rest for sure. Um, because it was really exhausting. Like it was yeah. a really exhausting time for so many different reasons. I think like things I didn't get into here, but like, I felt like a lot of pressure on me. I wasn't used to being like this visible, like all that kind of jazz, like has had like a impact on brain with burnout and everything. And so I think mm -hmm. I'm taking some time to rest, but not that much time because in two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> just two weeks, uh, um, no, we'll be in court. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, literally. I feel like the government put the case just after cop because they knew we'd be <laughs> absolutely tired but we're not tired we've got momentum and fire and whatever else as well yeah. we just need to i'm taking a little time to rest and then getting yeah. back into the swing because on the 8th and 9th of december we will be in court at the royal courts of justice in london which is super super exciting so weird that it's finally happening after we've been working on this case for so long um but yeah our, our case will be being seen in london and it's a, I think this is a really good moment to keep up the momentum and for people to come together again after COP mm -hmm. because on the 7th of December, we will be having a rally as like a see you in court rally the day before our first court date. Um, we're really encouraging like everyone to come along. Please do. It will be at 1 p.m. at Lincoln Inn Fields in London. Lincoln Inn Fields is close to the Royal Courts of Justice um, and it's a good open space for us to have a rally. We'll have loads of different incredible speakers speaking on why this case around oil and gas subsidies um, is so important. So basically our case, if you don't know it, is called the pay to pollute case. Um, it is, we're taking the UK government to court over their policy, which has basically allowed for four billion pounds of public money to be paid by the government directly to fossil fuel companies since 2016. That's four billion pounds public money being paid to the companies that are causing the most harm. These, these payments have actually promoted these companies in polluting. It promotes them to extract as much oil and gas as possible. And it's completely illogical and irrational and goes against these climate agreements that have been made at previous COPs. Um, and so we're challenging that policy in court and saying that it, sh it should be changed. Um, and the day before, yeah, on the 7th, big rally, come along, bring your mates, share everywhere. There'll be, there's details on at paid to pollute 
And if you go to page2pollute.org.uk, there'll be links on there as well, um, like Eventbrite links and stuff like that. We'll also be having a panel on the 6th. There's lots of stuff going on. I've said lots of dates. It's probably very confusing. So just go to at paid to pollute and make sure that you share it. Send it with your powers. Come along, build that momentum. Like let's all come together again after COP. It's going to be great. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> see me in a great pink suit oh yeah definitely come join but also we'll put the dates and everything in the bio because i'm not gonna lie yes. i'm a bit like Ooh. um <laughs> so <laughs> um we really hope that you enjoyed our little rants and rambles mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. and about cop um if it seemed a bit scattered it's probably because our brains are a bit scattered about yeah. it still and yeah. we are still processing a lot and um yeah I'm, i'm sure also a lot of listeners who were there and we met some of you like are probably mm. feeling quite similar thank you mm-hmm. so much for saying hi it really meant yes. so much like it was just really because sometimes podcasts and online work does feel like we're just chatting to each other which is mm-hmm. like a nice space to have but then like hearing that it does impact people just like yeah really means the world so mm. uh, thank you so much um and we really appreciate all of you and a special thanks to our patrons for supporting us on patreon like you really make this podcast happen and uh, sustain it and everything and mm. yeah we are just like super grateful for you um and supporting us yeah we're so grateful for our patrons because like this work is completely funded by our community and we love that it's um it's like that um and we love that we're funded by all of you guys and without that support we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing like we 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 pay all of our guests we pay the people who work with us on our team um and we need the support of patrons in order to make that happen so thank you for everyone who's supported so far and if you um aren't a part of the patreon but you enjoy this podcast uh, like for free which is like obviously totally grand but if you could support that'd be amazing as Our support has been like dwindling a bit recently and it's just important that we have enough funds so that we can um, actually like make this happen and pay the people on our team well and pay our guests. Um, so that was an awkward um, plug, but I hope that... Yeah, that was very awkward, actually... I'm not going to lie. Um... <laughs> but anyways, um, I think it's time to wrap up. Um, yeah, so you can follow the Yikes podcast uh, on Instagram and the Yikes pod on Twitter. Um, please, um, yeah, rate the rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and especially on Apple Podcasts please leave a note on what you are enjoying and everything and really helps the podcast um, in spreading further and spreading into new networks obviously that's the goal in reaching as many people as possible about uh, the yikes and climate action and social movements and all of the stuff that we're chatting about um, thank you to Finn for doing all of the sound magic Finley Mowat you can also check him out on Instagram I've been Michaela Loach. I'm at Michaela Loach on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, but I don't use that very much. Um. <laughs> and I've been Joe Becker. I'm Cheese and Peace on Instagram and Josephine Becker on Twitter. And yeah, with that, um, I guess we'll, we'll see, see you, in you in two weeks. Two weeks. With another episode. Bye. Bye.